Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Great to have you with us. It is another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. I'm Aaron Noonan. He's Will Dale. Merry Christmas, Will Dale. Merry Christmas to you too. It is a couple of days before Christmas, but I'm getting in a little bit early, but it's our last podcast before Christmas. So a uh, big Merry Christmas to everybody in the Sleuth team, to everybody who's listening, who's part of our community, our online world, our digital hub. Have I missed any other ways to describe it? No, I think that's I think that's all the boxes. Pretty much. I think you've named all the reindeer. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Donner and Blitzen and Rudolph and Rudolph wasn't really a real one, was he? He was kind of made up. Oh, he was a real reindeer. Oh, he had a Rudolph very... the red. He just had a red nose. Oh, he got left. He just, he just, had, he just had an illegal nose. That's all. Uh, didn't pass tech. I think the, the issue was with him. Hey, um... he was the safety car of the reindeer. <laughs> Bloods are out. Yeah. Pass the Rudolph. Yeah. Uh, Christmas coming. Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you again for following us on this little journey that we have every year of motorsport content, stories, um, chats with various people around the country via person and online again. Uh, we're going to finish off with a Q&A episode today. We've got another one next week to finish us off. Then we're going to have a bit of a break over uh, January and we'll fire back into it at some stage in January. A big thank you, though, to all of our listeners because of you – and your friends that you've told to listen and your family members who you've told to listen as well. Well, we've gone up 25 spots. We yep. have gone, I think that's called in music, and you're very musical, going up the charts. It is, yeah. We're number 74 with Bullet in the with top 100. Bullet, like yeah, a yeah. flying bullet train yeah. uh, in the top Australian-made podcast in the podcast ranker, uh, up to P74 now yeah. in the top 100. So thank you, everybody, for listening we really appreciate it because it's really cool that we can be on a, a list like that with some amazing podcasts in both our sphere and outside of our sphere it's really cool so thank you everybody who's got behind us this year and a big thank you to of course all our partners as well it's been great to have repco on board with us this year uh, they've done amazing things with the supercars championship with bathurst uh, can't wait to see what they've got in store for next year. Speaking of the store, our online store is still open over Christmas with our books and our prints and our um, DVDs and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, for orders made between December 23 and January 9, they'll be fulfilled the week starting January 10 when we're back on deck. We're going to take a bit of a break here at Sleuth Headquarters. Everybody's a little tired. Yeah, the Sleuth Elves are having a bit of a rest over the, sun, <laughs> yeah. over the, over the couple of weeks. They're, they're looking for some sleep. That's what they're sleuthing. Uh, sleep sleuths. Uh, in the off-season. Massive year. I mean, we've done plenty of books. We've done plenty of website stuff. We've done plenty of podcasts. So everyone's going to have a little bit of time off. But let's get into questions, Will. We've got plenty of them for this episode. Mick Gallagher with the new ball, because it's cricket season, and I think that's an appropriate term. Uh, He's bowling in from the number end. What's his question? (laughs) Mick is asking, which number has the most wins for anyone for the one driver? For example, number 17 has... X number of wins for Dick Johnson or Scotty McLaughlin, etc. I.e., so which driver has won the most races with one specific number? Correct, yes. I'm thinking it's number one because it's been carried so... I mean, not really much very often lately, Mm. but over the journey it's been with the reigning champion and the reigning champion, more often than not, is still pretty good the next year. And one particular reigning champion... Had a habit of doing a fair bit of winning. The guy who was reigning more often than he wasn't? Yeah, yep, that's Mm. the guy. Is it Jamie? It is indeed Jamie. With the car numbered one, he has taken 70 wins. And these are race wins in the championship. Correct, We're not counting yes. Albert Park that didn't that wasn't part of the championship or Sandown 500s that weren't part of it back in the day. We're strictly speaking Australian Touring Car Championship slash Supercars Championship. Yes. Yep. And that, so, Win Cup has 70 wins with the car, num- car number one. In contrast, he has 47 with... His number 88. So, where well. does that put him on the list of numbers with 88? He'd still be high, sure. He is still quite high. He is P6. So, he's first and sixth. In fact, Triple Eight does quite well in this list, which is probably no surprise given the amount of winning they've done in an era where there are a lot of races within a calendar year. So, Jamie's first with 70 wins. Next is Craig Lowndes and Triple Eight with 57, makes 58 sense. wins, I should say. That makes sense. 
Not too far behind him is Shane Van Gisbergen with 97. Makes a lot of sense too because he's carried that number apart from when he was at Stones and he mm. only won a couple of races in his time there and then he went on to Techno where he did a bit of winning. Yeah. And obviously, Triple Eight, he's done a lot of winning. And of course, he in, in any time he has won a championship, he's retained the number 97 and he will do again next year. So, he will add to that total yeah. potentially in 2022. And he's a red hot shot to knock Lowndes off then for P2. Indeed. Uh, P4 is Mark Scaife with the number two. And that would be in Gibson era and in HRT era because he carried Correct. it at both. If he wasn't number one, he was number two. Yes. Yep. Uh, he took 51 wins. Okay. Uh, next up is Scott McLaughlin with in number 17. 17. Yep. Took 48 wins in that span of years that he was racing for DJR Team Penske. Um, of course, next up is Win Cup with 88 on in 88, in on, 88 47. on 47. Yeah, yeah. Um, and behind that is Peter Brock with 05 with 38 wins, although there is a slight asterisk there as one of those wins was with number five, not 05. See, and I would deem them separate numbers. I would dock him one. 37 it is then. When, when Brock was 05 at Bathurst in 02, Glenn Seaton drove car five. Yeah. So they're I'm two different to- numbers to me. 21 and 021 are different numbers. 05, it's not five. I'm without. Checking, I'm suspecting there wasn't an 05 in the field that day no, and that correct. Brock was, would have correct. wanted to run 05 but was prevented from doing so. Yep, yep. So basically out of that list, it's pretty locked except for Van Gisbergen having the chance to definitely beat Lowndes probably next year mm. and he needs 18 more to get to Win Cup. Yeah. He's, he's going to get that because he's not going to run the number one, mm. which is a bit of a bone of contention over should you run or be made to run number one because we've had McLaughlin say no and Van Gisbergen say no. Hmm. So we haven't had a number one on the grid since Wink Up in 2018. Yeah. I'm cool. I think it gives you the option. If, yeah. I don't think it's – it's not disrespectful because McLaughlin was respecting the 17. Yeah. And Dick Johnson and the legacy of that number and that team. Dick never ran it. No. And I think with Shane, he's not one for trimmings. He's not one for all that type of stuff anyway. It would be – a betrayal of his own beliefs of who he is and how he rolls if he took on the number one. Yeah. It's a very personal... The whole number thing is a really personal thing. Having asked a lot of drivers, like... Yeah. Oh, it's, very, it's, it's not... It's not... Um, it's not exclusive that all drivers are sentimental about numbers. There are a few that just honestly don't care that mm. much, um, but they are definitely in the minority. It's funny, when Triple Eight brought back Triple Eight, the number, for Bathurst mm. after it was going to be parked... I read and heard from a lot of people saying, oh, no one cares about numbers. I can tell you from the clicks on those stories and from the <laughs> website traffic and from the social media engagement and from the discussion that we had with various people, they matter. They care. Numbers are a massive part of our sport. Yeah. And the number that people carry, um, and you've seen it before, it's 05, it's 17, it's 888. It's 34. It's Moffat's 9. It's yep. Gary Rogers' GRM 34. It's all of those things. They all have... Uh, you know, great cachet with plenty of people. And, you know, a lot of these people haven't raced for a long time, yet you say the number and that's the name that you think of. Yeah, we just got to get them back on the doors now. But that's another question uh, for another time. Won't happen. Won't happen. Uh, got to stick some sponsors on there. More yeah. room for the sponsors, mate. Uh, Ryan Campbell, this is a good question. <laughs> I like this one now, too. Now, he's seen yeah. the video that came out earlier in the year that Formula One put together. And it, it, there's a short version and a long version. I've watched the long version. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. But Seb Vettel, they, they challenged all the Formula One drivers to name all of the world champions from last year backwards. Yeah. And Vettel was the only one who could do it. And Ryan asks, he wonders if any of our current supercar drivers could do the same with all the previous winners of the Bathurst 1000. He says he can take it back before he was born, but things get a bit hazy in the early mid-80s. Now, I reckon there's no one, whether it be main game full-timer or enduro co-driver, who could nail it like Vettel. Go and find the video. It's It's really good. A few others put up a pretty good fight and get deeper and further than I thought they would. There's some who have no friggin' idea at all about anything that happened that didn't involve them or happened before (laughs) yesterday. But Vettel, he's a student of the game, and Mm. he stumbled in a couple, and he took a little while to grab a couple. But he got there in the end. he got there all the way back to 1950, which I thought was pretty fantastic. Who is your candidate for Supercars Mastermind to have a crack at Bathurst 1000 winners. Look, there's only one name that really comes to mind, and that's Will Davison. He's he's probably the only guy that really stands out to me as someone who would probably know. He's quite the student of the sport. 
He might take a bit of bit of time to get there. He does do long form answers. He does Willie do long D, form answers. He say. does love to consider an answer too, and this is the ultimate consideration oh. of of yeah. We might need a couple of days to get through Davo's <laughs> answers, but yeah. I, I'd back him in to I get pretty close. True. Yeah, yeah. I'd back him in to get close, if not all the way. I'd back him to get into the eighties. Yeah, I think he'd I think he'd struggle after that. I think all the current guys would struggle. To get back there. But if you just kept saying Brock, fair chance yeah, you're going to nail way, a few yeah. of them. But I'd pick Tanda as my other guy. Oh, yeah. As, as a guy who that makes could, sense. could mount a pretty good fight. I'm not sure he could go all the way, but I think he would be a bigger chance than just about anybody else. I reckon Jack- Actually, thinking about Jack Perkins, Jack Perkins would probably Perkins be a good shout too. List. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd be definitely one of those. But if you haven't seen it, have a look on YouTube. It's a really cool video. They did it with all the drivers. A few of them dropped out very early, but <laughs> few- I can't remember there was- one or two guys who went pretty deep and pretty yeah. long into it, but I, I can't remember who they were. It's some time ago since I watched yeah. it, but have a look. It's a challenge that I reckon supercars should try to do uh, with the field next year to For see sure. maybe with supercar champions yeah. uh, rather than Bathurst 1000 winners to see how far back they can go. And th- and this isn't the space where we're both going to have a crack at this, just in case, you, in case you're listening and no, wondering. No, no, we don't want to put people to sleep. No, no. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Shane Jenkins. He's up next. I think Shane's asked this question a lot. So we we do have somewhat of an answer for him this time though. Okay. So the question that he asks quite regularly and we haven't asked it and pondered it because we haven't had a response to be able to answer it. So if we can't answer something, what's the point in asking it? Yeah. So he's asking about the EF and the EL V8 supercar race cars that never raced with the quad headlights like the XR8 road cars did mm. at the time. Did anyone ever actually test them on a race car? So, we don't know if they were ever tested, but Ford, when they were homologating the EF Falcon, did actually submit it with quad headlights, but it was knocked back by cams. Right. Uh, We don't know why it was knocked back by cams, but we know that Ford wanted to do it for all those marketing reasons of tying the race car to the performance road car. The XR series was coming along that time. So, they wanted to do it, but it wasn't until the AU Falcon we actually got a quad headlight Ford V8 supercar. All right, we will, uh, we've started an answer there for him, so we'll try to get a bit more to why it was knocked back, but they did try. The, was- the fact that in their statement at the time, Ford said there was no performance advantage, um, hi- it was purely for marketing reasons, highlights that um, there was a lot going on in parity stakes back then <laughs> between Ford and Holden. I wouldn't mind betting that the mob from Fisherman's Bend said, uh, yeah, nah, yeah. because uh, we don't want anything that we can't have or use or similar or... How does the air flow through those headlights? Who knows? There's yeah. a bit of that going on, I'm sure. Uh, next question from Andrew Rollison. When the changeover from 1979 to 1980 happened with touring car regulations, why were some drivers allowed to continue with Tiranas, but nobody was allowed to run an XC Falcon? Uh, that actually wasn't the case, Andrew. There were a couple of drivers that did persist with XC Falcons. Um, Bill O'Brien was one. He ran pretty much every championship race in 1980, I believe. Um, Ray Alford turned up in an XC Falcon as well. When those rules changed for 1980, the previous A9X Tiranas and the XC Falcons had to adopt the more emissions pollution friendly cylinder heads, and that cost them a fair bit of horsepower. Lots, yeah. lots, piles of power, and that's yeah. why no one. Peter Jansen did wheel out a Tirana at Sandown yeah. that was, and Alan Grice ran a Craven Mild one that was. Did he win a race in that? Uh, Barbara Gallo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they technically ran as LXSS Tiranas. Not yeah, they A9X. weren't an A9X. No, they'd lost all the A9X add ons and bits and bodywork and the mm. scoop and stuff they, like that. They're a funny looking car when they're not an A9X trim, the hatch. Yeah, they look pretty it plain looks Jane. Odd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, that's, that's exactly right. We did a bit of a project on that Bill O'Brien Everlast Falcon for. Um, the car owner a little while mm. ago and yeah most certainly did a lot of running in 1980 it was the only hard top that was a regular yeah. in the touring car championship that year um nazar tariev i hope i've pronounced that correctly uh has been watching the 96 broadcast from sandown i'm not sure if he means the touring car round or the sandown 500 but that's irrelevant to the question 
He said, I noticed some infield addition to the raceway, and I got wondering, was it a one-off? What was it all about? Was it used for racing? Based on Google Maps, there's only remains of it that are still there. So, uh, Will, please give a history lesson 101 on the infield at Sandown Raceway. So, this is when Sandown and Victoria were trying to attract the Formula the Formula One Grand a Formula One Grand Prix, a round of the Formula One World Championship. But Sandown wasn't long enough, so they added an infield loop at the end of the back straight to bring it up to 3.9 kilometres. Which it was 3.1. So, it, brought, yes. it added 800 metres because to be at the level to host a Grand Prix, you had to have a track length. I think it was 3.8 yeah. or 3.9. It was only just over, which gave you the indication of what the plan was. Uh, yeah. It did It did attract, obviously, history shows it didn't attract a Formula 1 race. That went to Adelaide. But it did attract World Championship races with sports cars. There was a World Endurance Championship race there in 84 and 88. And it pretty much crippled the like car club of australia the first one nearly killed it and the second one did finished it, it yeah. off <laughs> yeah um so it wasn't particularly popular it really as you can imagine it really changed the character of the course um the s's which is an obvious highlight of the circuit were completely bypassed by it um and it was used from i think the first race meeting was the 84 castrol 500 the touring car and giro the last one was the 88 um, Sandown 500, the NZ 500. Oh, actually, sorry, the World Endurance Championship round was after that, but that was yeah, the last touring car later. race with it. Yeah. Um, and they did a couple of things in that last event to open up some of the infield corners, but yeah, it was never a popular addition for touring car runners. It was very hard on drivetrains and gearboxes and all those things that teams hate spending money on if yeah, they don't have to. Good for zippy little cars, mm. not so good for a V8 Commodore or Falcon or whatever was kicking yeah. around at the time. But- and good for motorcyclists as well because it meant that there was less risk of hurting yourself by crashing at the S's. Yeah, so they true. they continued. If you remember back to like the early 90s when um, the Australian Superbike Championship raced on the same bill as the Australian Touring Car Championship, they would use that part of the course yeah. as well. And I remember going to the 500 in 92 even and Superbikes were a support race mm. for that and they used the infield, which it was a wet day that day, so it was probably a good idea yes. that they did. But I remember watching, uh, I used to sit, our place at Sandown was at the last corner and so the races would start, and of course you can't see. You could just make them out coming down the back straight, but I didn't know they were using the long track. <laughs> so <laughs> suddenly where they, they go, going. where are they going? Where are they going? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, okay, they're using that. All right. Yeah, all clear. And, Makes and sense. it's mostly gone now because they made a few alterations to the horse racing circuit at mm. Sandown, maybe like 15, 15 years ago or so, uh, 10, 15 years ago. They made some realignment changes that changed the last sequence of corners of the racetrack yeah. in 02. And as part of the eventual works that were part of that to change the layout of the horse racing circuit, a lot of that was lo- that yeah, field section was lost in, a few years later. Remember in 13, if you take the video of the Sandown 500, all the grass was ripped up off the horse racing track. It looked really weird. Yeah. But I think that might have been about when a bit of that stuff happened. But for a long time, you could actually drive down the back straight and see the link road peel off to the left. Mm. You, know, you come over the, the crest of the hill on the back straight and then it peels left. And then you see the little bit of bitumen where it pops out at Dandenong Road in that little link up to yeah. where the S's is sort of halfway uh, through. But it's also probably worth pointing out that that wasn't the only addition that was made to Sandown. If you haven't seen older races from Sandown, um, the pit lane wasn't always where it is now. It was actually down between what's now, I guess, turn one and yeah. um, the turn onto the back straight. The The front straight used to go deeper. It used to go all the way basically to the fence line mm. and before turning. And they also changed Dandenong Road Corner a bit. They tightened it up and realigned the causeway and put a chicane in there mm. to um to make it a bit slower and safer for cars crossing that causeway and um to not crash into a bridge abutment that used to be there. <laughs> yeah, a few people did that yes. uh, back in the day, which wasn't a very good look. Uh, Chris Holborn, I love this. With Warren <laughs> Luff finishing Bathurst with another top five. All right, he didn't get a podium, but he was up there again with Bryce Fullwood this year. It got him wondering... What's his average finishing position over his whole Bathurst career and how does it compare to other drivers with a similar amount of starts? So we got our stats guru, Shane, to trawl our database and he's came come back with Warren Luff having made 15 starts at the Bathurst 1000 for an average finish of 6.93. So when he finishes, so that doesn't count anything alongside DNFs, that's purely when he finishes, his finishing average is 6.93. 
Correct. With his last eight finishes from 2012 onwards, which include a DNS and a DNF in between. So that's when he didn't start with Tander because the car was smashed when it had the brake failure. And when he didn't finish with Tander in 16 when the car got smashed by that um, carambolage on the exit of the chase involving Wincup and McLaughlin. Can you please translate that word for our listeners? Uh, Multi-car shunt. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, um, his average finish in the last eight starts is 3.5. That's ridiculous. <laughs> like one foot on the podium. That is, that's like a permanent booking at the podium. His last five starts with no DNFs, which was which goes from 2017 through to this year, is 3.8. <laughs> um, now, to compare that for the sake of history, the driver with the best record for five races in a row with the lowest average is Craig Lowndes, who between 2006 and 2010 chalked up first, 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 fifth, first for an average of 1.8. Yeah, that's not bad. That's <laughs> yeah, that one's hard, hard to beat. To beat. Yeah. Um, drivers with 10 finish or more with a better average. There's not too many. Um, Alan Moffat, 11 finishes at, with an average of 3.27 over his career. Dick Johnson, 12 finishes with an average of 3.67. Tony Longhurst, 4.79 average for 14 finishes. Lounsey over the course of his career with 24 race finishes, Average is 4.8. I think that's more impressive. The more starts you do to hold the average so high, mm. you know, 24 finishes versus someone with 11, that's double the amount of times that you've had the potential to, you know, to not finish and knock this number around. So to punch out that many finishes and well, to do it at that quality, is that's you, insane. You think that that also includes, what was it, 2016, where he had a mechanical failure early and finished really deep in the field? Mm, 15th or something like yeah, that. 2017, yeah, 2017, where they never quite got to grips with the brakes on that car that year. So he's had a so couple a few, of very low few finishes ones that in special. There. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting, isn't it? But Warren Luff stands out really well. And you keep thinking that eventually- Guys that don't drive these cars full time or more regularly will fall off the co-driver cliff. Mm. Where there's we a talk year, about it a bit, yeah. Yeah, where there's a year where they just drop away, they can't muster the same pace, they make a mistake, they have a crash, they do something wrong that they normally wouldn't have done. Yeah. And all right, that's it. We've hit the point where it's time to to move on. I don't feel like we're close with Luffy on that. Well, as we've discussed, as we discussed in the um, Bathurst preview podcast this year, he's in a car every day as part of his job but doing high performance drive. It's not a race car, but it's but helping. It's keeping him. Ma- that's likely what's keeping him match fit better than drivers who are not in a car mm. that's doing high speeds precision stuff so every day. A, here's a tip for young players: go and start a stunt school <laughs> and just do stunt driving all yeah. week. Just keep driving around. Just yeah. just get a ute out and, <laughs> and, and, and bang around. That's the go, definitely. Yeah. Next question from Ollie Rees. In some videos of the 1995 Bathurst 1000, Mike Raymond appears Mike Raymond appears to be commentating the moment that Seaton gets passed by Larry Perkins. But as we all know, this occurred in an ad break. So where's that commentary from? Was it post-produced? Yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the concise answer, it, yes. It was inserted for the highlight tape of the race. So there was, back in the day, kids, there was this thing called VHS uh, video, for, for those in the know. And, yeah, because it happened in an ad break, the vision is there. It's in the highlights tape. It's on the DVD that we've released. Uh, we did the full 95 Bathurst race this year, mm. didn't we? So We've uh, run it on social as well yeah. when we um, live blogged the 95 race earlier this year. Yeah, so it's the vision of when Seton is slowing and the engine's cactus happened in the ad break. Mm. So they rolled it back in. And this was a common thing that happened in TV in the years that followed uh, right up till probably 10, 15 years ago. Mm. If something happened in a break, they would come back from the break and play – it's called in the industry playing it in, i.e. Mm. Yes. rolling that bit of tape as if it's live and yeah. telling the commentators to not to say, oh, in the break this happened, but to actually – call it as if it's happening, and then they would come up with an edit point or a cut point to another camera where it didn't. F- it it had a logical obvious, yeah. flow. Uh, Thomas Mezzera rolling the bottle magic car is another example of something that happened in an ad break where, yep. where it just fortuitously happened at the very start of coming back. Yeah, correct. The, exactly To the TV right. coverage. So, so, Ollie, that's exactly what happened. That was recorded by- Remember that Mike Raymond for 96 was gone from the telecast. He was out of seven. So- uh, that was done, I'm presuming, at the very end of 95 afterwards because it's a pivotal moment of the race. Yeah. And to include it on the video would have been great, but to have no audio with it's a bit strange. So, And I never got to talk to Mike about this or anybody else, but clearly they went in and got him to do a voice um, call on it 
and they've just inserted it in the tape and it's there for for the future. But it's, you're exactly um, right. It didn't happen on the day. It's funny you think that is probably Mike Raymond's last bit of like five-litre touring car commentary in period. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, 100%. Huh. Never thought about that till now. Mm, no, you're, you're absolutely on the money. Tim Blunden. Oh, this is an interesting one. Yeah. What's the most unluckiest car number at Bathurst? What's the one you don't want as far as most crashes, most DNFs with cars carrying certain numbers? What's the number that if you got a random pool given to you or the team said, great idea, we've got this one-off, Sponsor for Bathurst, or we've got this one-off promotion, and we're going to change the car number. What's the number that you don't want them giving to you, Uh, Dick Johnson Racing fans? You may want to block your ears for the next thirty, thirty-five seconds. Um, It's actually number seventeen. Number seventeen is the one with the most non-finishes at Bathurst, with twenty-five DNFs and one disqualification, which happened in nineteen eighty-two. Ah, the cylinder heads. Yes. Yes. Um, but but, but uh, alongside that, though, there are a lot of DNFs there, but that number's been in the race pretty much every year. Yes. And there's a bunch of wins. Yes. So if you're packing your positive pants, I'm looking at the wins, hmm. but if you're going to pack your negative pants, you look at the DNFs. But I think the one that – and we've had Shane, our data expert, dig through this. I could cop 25 DNFs if I've got – how many wins has 17 had at Bathurst? Four. Four now, yeah. So I'll take the four and 25. <laughs> But if you if you roll out and tell me for next year for our wildcard V8 sleuth entry that you're going to give me 77, get stuffed. We're not having <laughs> well, it, and you can explain why. Well, the funny thing is, if you if someone was to do that, it would actually bump it off 13 appearances, which it currently has. Well, that's unlucky. Yeah. Um, and it's we refer to it as 13 appearances because it only made 12 actual starts. In 1986, 77 was on Peter, the, the Toyota Supra of Peter Williamson and Mark Scaife was due to make his first great race start um but unfortunately willow crashed at the bon McConrod and destroyed the badly badly damaged the car really hurt himself as well and that car didn't make the race start he got hit by the fire extinguisher yeah yeah there's nasty, some really nasty, nasty, nasty. he was quite lucky to get out of that actually that was yeah a mega one at the bottom of conrod the year before of course the chase was was put in but mm. so 77's got 13 appearances for 12 starts yes it's finished twice hmm Richard Bork finished twice in 77. <laughs> yes. He's yes. the man carrying the flag for car 77 in the Bathurst 1000. And the other thing is he should actually maybe have three finishes because one of the DNFs that's attributed to 77 was with Richard Mork and it was that time where his car was brought in to park Ferme despite it maybe shouldn't have been mm. and he wasn't allowed to fix it and restart and restart the race. Is this um, the one where he did the burnout? This is the one where he did the burnout in park Ferme. And- I think there was actually a, um, not legal issue, but there was definitely something brought against the promoter. The Which promoter was, was fined yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for doing it in the first place. Yeah, so there's been a few other 77s that were pretty unlucky. Uh, of course, Willow in 84 on the start line got wiped out in that crash with Tom Walkinshaw's Jag. Yep. Um, you mentioned the Richard Mork one. Uh, the two-leader race that same year was Malcolm Ray and Wayne Wakefield, who were involved in the shunt at the top of the hill with the oil on the road, and I think they had a shunt between themselves afterwards as well. There was a few letters written backwards and forwards in motorsport magazines at the time because that's, oh that's how they had a spat. Uh, these days, no, it'd be social Twitter. media stuff. Yeah, yeah, no social media back in those days. Uh, in '92, I think it was on a Toyota Corolla that did insufficient laps, which probably would have got enough laps if the race had run the full distance. But um, nevertheless, '77. If someone goes to give it to you for the Bathurst 1000. Kindly push it back and ask for something else. Yes. <laughs> Next question from Dave McLaren. Is there any truth to the rumours that Dick Johnson Racing had super lightweight EL Falcons? Well, yeah, sort of. Yeah. Or EFs. Yes. Uh, so, it wasn't just DJR. Ford did create a, a limited run of lightweight EF body shells mm. um, that were supplied to team for, to Ford supported teams because the it was hard to get the Falcon down to the race weight compared to which harder. was thirteen hundred at the time. I think yeah. Um, so this happened in I think nineteen ninety five, and it was found out before the Enduros. One DJR car had been built with one of those shells, and it wasn't the ninety four Bathurst winner. It was the car that followed it, DJR six. EF6, sorry, that was debuted for 95 Enduros. Um, I think there was a Glenn Seaton Racing Falcon as well. Mm, I think um, that's right. At least one Tony Longhurst car. 
I think he got the whole, well, you've started it so you can finish it. Yeah, so potentially two Tony Longhurst cars. I think, that, I think cars. the Longhurst car that was the last one that was able to do that was the car for 96. Yeah. Because it started in 95 and they said, look, you're that far along with it. Finish it off. Uh, yeah. The Komatsu Waldock car, that was around uh, that yeah. era as well. Um, but not the pack leader, the first of the Alan Jones Racing Stone Brothers cars. They had some shells, didn't they? And were told, no, yeah. sorry, you cannot build cars sort of out of that. Timelines yeah. passed. So, uh, but that's what brought the weight limit of the category up. Because the other thing, it wasn't just the lightweight shells. There were light panels going on as well. Mm. So there was a there was a fair bit going on between the two manufacturers at the time. And as a result, to help sort of quell all this, they brought the weight limit of the cars up. Yeah. So it helped. You know, those who were trying to lighten stuff off didn't have to because it wasn't as hard to hit the weight limit. I think as part of that, the cars that were built with lightweight shells had to run a specific weight in a specific area. I think it might have been in the passenger floor mm, area. They added KG. Yeah. But I think DJI did have some more lightweight shells that they ended up selling. Mm, and I swear- build a race car I, out of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure one of them became a saloon car later on over mm. the journey. We've, we've had some contact before. I'm, I'm, my memory tells yeah, me from, you're right. from a car owner who's got up. a thing that's a little bit weird. I think maybe one's a speedway car somewhere out, but there were a couple more shells that they obviously then couldn't use, so they- um, Flicked him out the door. So, but speaking of DJR um, panels, I reckon one of the best bits of memorabilia I've seen in the last twelve or so months is the bonnet off the John Bow Phillip Island <laughs> roll, 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 roll car. Um, yeah, which is pretty things cool. you never thought you'd see again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, you know, we found the bonnet, but we never found the guy that jumped the fence to get JB out of the car and, and help him somewhere. out. Yeah, which is amazing that we've gone so long and what twenty five years and he still hasn't emerged. Yeah. We'll find him. We'll find him one day. Um but that bonnet came up through our friends at the motorsporttrader.com who um basically keeping motorsport memories alive. Luke and his team have got a bunch of cool memorabilia things in terms of oh, there's bonnets, there's guards, there's race suits, there's all sorts of cool stuff. So a check door out the website. Or Imson Nissan from like I know, the Jeff, Jeff Brabham raced. Back. Yeah. It's very cool. There's yeah. always something interesting on there. Saw him up at Bathurst picking up some new gear, so I'm sure that there's plenty to have a look at on the website over Christmas as well. So head to the Motorsport Trader uh, website. It's pretty cool. God, there was no shortage of um of um, memorabilia opportunities at the Bathurst just gone. Oh, was there was plenty of Whoa. gear for uh, beer funds at the back of garages. Um Craig Patterson, what can we expect from your indie sleuth alter ego's vast vault of knowledge in the future? That's an excellent question, Craig. Mm, great question. Yeah. Uh, well, indie sleuth is um, built upon, uh, we sort of confirmed this a little while ago, we've acquired some really significant history records of champ car, cart, IndyCar. I mean, it wasn't IndyCar by that stage, but um, all those cars that raced from the mid-90s to the end of champ car, of course, um, champ car folded and was merged back into what was the Indy Racing League and became the IndyCar series that we all know and enjoy to today. So it includes that amazing era of kart cars like Zanardi and Michael Andretti and Paul Jimmy Tracy. Vassar, Paul Tracy, Little Al, um, Reynards, Lolas, Penskys. Renskys. Yeah, Renskys, the slightly modified Reynards by Roger's team. Yeah. Uh, Swifts, Eagles, Lolas. I think that's I think it. That's about all. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Shaw, long-time TV commentator and journalist, ripping bloke. He's been based in the States for a long time, but he's a POM. We won't hold that against him. Uh, Lee Diffie actually connected Jeremy and I on this whole car stuff because I asked Lee one day, who's the go-to for IndyCar chassis or mm. cart or anything of that whole era? And, and he led me to Jeremy, who I had dealt with a little bit before, but um, he sort of let, let me back, led me back to him. Yeah. And, uh, we got a deal done, so we've actually acquired his records. And he used to go and look at all the cars. Like, he'd inspect them himself or he'd talk to the crew chiefs. He's done what I've done with supercars over the journey. And, of course, that, that this is only a small 10-year window of champ car history. doesn't cover the IRL cars that were at the same stage or later on or the IndyCar series before that, but certainly I've got a keen eye on doing a bit more. But I think you can expect a bit more of our style content on our website, sort of an indie sleuth subsection, I guess you'd say, because we've got the great connection to IndyCar through the Gold Coast races over the years. We saw a few Aussies have a run, um, both in that series and in the feeder series. So there's a fair bit of Australian connectivity to IndyCar racing over the journey, and that kart era was really cool. And I think it's cool to see what some of the the cars became and where they went, which is the same basis of what V8 Sleuth is all about. So, I mean, we were sitting there looking at some of the notes the other day, and when Chip Ganassi left um, 
cart mm. to go full time to IRL. He'd been running a, a joint operation of both. Uh, they sold the bulk of their chassis stock to Forsyth, yeah. to Jerry Forsyth's team. So the car that Paul Tracy finally won the championship in on the Gold Coast in 03 in the blue and white players' colours mm. was Scott Dixon's Ganassi target car from the Gold Coast the year before. That's crazy. So That's, it's all yeah. those little things. And then and because, remember, that uh, you know, Raynard went bust, Lola kept building cars, albeit very small amounts, mm. but they kept just updating the same chassis. So you got this great period from about 02 to 06 that this, a lot of the same cars were being used. Yeah. So they've got great histories across different teams, different drivers, different achievements. Uh, a lot of them, sadly, don't have the engines these days because they were all lease engines. Yes. Honda, Toyota, Cosworth, Mercedes-Benz with Ilmore. But a lot of them are lying around as show cars in collections here and there. And there's a lot of people in the States who don't know what they've got. Mm. We know what they've got because we've got the records that were made by the guy who was right there on the scene, whether it's Motegi, Nazareth, Long Beach, Portland, Cleveland, Road America. San Jose. Laguna Seca, San Jose. And also the records of the panels, which was the last champ car that they Mm. ran for a season and one race at uh, Long Beach in 08. So we've got all that stuff and we'll be wheeling out all sorts of content um, on the website. I reckon at some point next year, a Gold Coast Indie podcast is got to be something we do. Oh, agreed. Especially since we get the event back next year, theoretically. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah, it's been on uh, paused up the old Gold Coast Supercars event. But I think that you can safely bet that we'll find a way to do a Gold Coast Indie pod. So, Craig, plenty of Indie Sleuth type stuff to roll out. uh, But I'm really keen to find a way to weave it into some stuff offshore with um, some other organisations and some other people as well. But it's interesting to see who's come out of the woodwork in the last few weeks since we announced it. Um, you know, people in weird and wacky places with 97 Lolas, mm. you'd never know where some of these cars pop up. So there's some really cool stories that we can tell in uh, in upcoming weeks, months and years. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out. Next question from Oliver Luca. What are all the cars that have had the V8 Sleuth logo or sponsorship? I can remember the Aaron Seaton Trans Am. Are there any others? And yes, yeah, yes, Oliver, others. there are others. Yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a few. Aaron Seaton's, well, he's not the latest. He might oh. seem like it. Uh, earlier in the year with his Trans Am Mustang mm-hmm. uh, at Phillip Island and yep. at Bathurst Six Hour. Uh, Clay Richards ran the, super, um, the V8 Sleuth logo on his little Toyota up at Bathurst uh, late last year. Uh, like this year, we haven't quite clicked off the year yet. I feel like we have. Um, it's been a long year. Has been a long year. Yeah. So, Chas Mostert is the first man to carry the V8 Sleuth logo on a race car. Was it Sandown 500 2013? DJR. Yeah. Wasn't Security Falcon. It was on the rear guards, mm. um, which was actually a little bit of a, a deal that I'd done with the team because I helped them sell the James Courtney Championship winning car. So that was part of tied into all of that sort of a deal. So I think the other thing that people think too is, oh, well, when your logo pops up in places, you must be just spending piles of cash. Mm. In pretty much all these instances, there's not a lot of cash. It's a lot of contra. It's a lot of other things that you don't see or know about behind the scenes. It's relationships. It's all that sort of stuff. But it was a perfect time because we were building the V8 sleuth thing. Mm. So the website had just sort of launched. It was, you know, this is nearly 10 years ago now. It's quite scary, but- I think we ended up on the on Tim Blanchard's car later in the year. Um, Sydney 500 rings a bell. Uh, definitely Cam Waters um, in Super 2 or Development Series or whatever it was called. His title winning year. 15, it was the yeah. 81 for FPR or ProDrive, as it yep. was by then. So on the front spoiler of his car, uh, we've got to get a model made of that yeah. one. Uh, because the colours were so different to all the other cars, colours of the car, mm. it stood out like you wouldn't believe. Um, Tom Randall. Remember, oh, yep. uh, he did the wild card at Tail and Bend a few years ago, and also we were on his Super 2 car uh, for the Bathurst race that he won without winning. Yes. Yeah. He was second, and Bryce Fullwood got a post-race penalty. For but- seeing the fastest lap of the race through a yellow flag sector on the final lap. Yeah, that probably didn't go down so well no. uh, with race control. We were splashed on a ute somewhere along the line. I think it was Steve Owens ran a ute somewhere. 
Yeah, it was a while ago now. That was a bit of a last-minute throw-on. Uh, Will Brown and Paul Umbrella at Bathurst with Eggleston's in 2018. Uh, and then, of course, Aaron Seaton this year uh, as well with the Trans Am car, uh, which was he's having a bit of winning yeah. at that period of things. Uh, there's a few others on that uh, that have carried the V8 Sleuth logo that you've missed in that list, though. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going with this, too. Yeah, the um, every Super 3 car carries a Correct. V8 Sleuth logo. It is in the series regulations. It's part of the deal that we have with... V8 touring cars slash what is, you know, run as Super 3. It's been there for quite a while in the regs too, so all the cars have to run it in that series. It's usually on, it's on the sill panel of each car as well. So, yeah, that probably brings the number of cars over time up quite a bit from uh, the obvious, but I sort of wasn't counting that. In fact, I <laughs> kind of excluded that, but let's include it for the sake of how many cars that we've been on over the years because I think it would be a, be a decent number just yeah. quietly. So, uh, Tim Gregory, next up. What's the most round starts exclusively with one brand of car? Now, this is not. This is for drivers who have stayed with one brand of car their whole career. Yeah, doesn't Loyalty. count if you did lots with one and a little bit with another, and yeah. your lots with one counts. We're just picking the dudes who've been with one the whole time through. Who is the the one who sits on top? His educated stab thinks it's Tander and Holden, and if that's the combo, and he drives a Camaro or a Mustang in twenty three. Who does the record then potentially fall back to? Well, I've got some good news for you, Tim. You're absolutely spot on. It is indeed Garth Tander with Holden. He's made 287 round starts um, for 200 for 641 races, up to and including the recent Repco Bathurst 1000. Behind, if he does drive into 2023 and co-drives a Chevy Camaro, of course he will disappear off this list, handing the number one spot to Greg Murphy, also in Holden's, having made 200 round starts and 442 race starts. Well, I reckon Murph's going to add to that too. Yes, but I in a Holden. he'll run a wild card next year. But in a Holden. Yeah, so correct. it'll be 201. Yeah, he'll get to 01. Yep. A nice round 201. Yep, yep. That's It's a Murph record waiting to be taken. It's interesting to note that um, on, on this list, and again, Shane's gone through the database for us to bring out the numbers, that for the most part, the top end of this list is populated by Holden drivers. Mm. Um, so next after Murphy is Larry Perkins, who made 161 round starts in Holdens. Uh, Ken McConville, who made 152 round starts in Holdens. Now you might think, oh, but he made his Bathurst debut with Dick Johnson Racing in Fords, not a part of the championship. Correct way. Um, and next on the list is Jason Richards, who made 133 round starts in Holdens. Who flirted with going to Ford. Mm. Uh, McConville flirted going with Ford. Yes, they were part of that whole. Let's talk to FPR about a deal. Remember that everybody seemed to have done <laughs> a deal together. with FPR? I was going through um, the Motorsport News Archive um, in the lead up to the 10th anniversary of JR's passing and um, found a five minutes with, with him talking about re-signing with Tasman and addressing the whole FPR rumour. I didn't realise he was one of the drivers. He was so in the mix too. So, I started yeah. putting together a list of all like, the people who have told us. Who, There's like who, 10 drivers. Who wasn't on the list? It'd yeah. be a faster job. Yeah. Um, next on this list... Is the only current driver is the highest current driver? It's Nick Perkat, who's made 118 round starts in all in Holdens. Mm. And you got some guys in there who've had long term loyalty. Yes, they might have looked at the other side, mm. but they they stuck fat. And that's one of the things that Holden did very well. And Simon McNamara and John Stevenson and all those guys deserve a lot of credit. They built a Holden team. Yes, they're all in separate teams, but the Holden Motorsport family. It was a pool of. Drivers who, that's how those deals were done, mm. that those drivers swapped teams. If they weren't happy where they were, they found a way to open the door to go, all right, we'll put you there, we'll help you go there, and we'll put someone else there. Ford never did that well. Never there, did. They, there were periods where they sort of did, but not to the not for the period of time and the rate of success and integration that Holden did. There was never a Ford driver's Christmas party that would have matched any of the Holden ones. I've been on a few. Maybe we should leave that one there. I could tell you exactly some stories, but that will be uh, for another podcast another day. Mm. Among the Ford blokes who've exclusively been Ford, Larco's on top, 104 rounds, Mm. Ambrose 70. Of course, Dick Johnson went, you know, he drove Tiranas, he drove a Mazda RX-3 in one round, McLaughlin raced Volvos for a time. And Holdens. And Commodores before that. So JB starting in a John Bauer starting in Volvo yep. then had a Nissan start then yep. drove Fords after that. Yeah, so if you plucked a few one offs out of the way and just deemed it full times, then that might change things just a little bit. But in terms of the loyalty and, and sometimes it's just the way it worked out. You know, yeah. there were opportunities to go to other places, but it, it didn't happen. So 
No, that's a cool one. I, I really like that. So Garth Tander and Holden, 287 rounds. That's a lot of racing. A lot but of he, wins uh, too. Yeah, he sits at the top of the list. So even if you take away the exclusivity, the most round starts in a Holden that anyone's going to be able to do, you know, it's going to run out at the end of next year. He's mm. going to sit on top of that list forever. Yeah, well, just looking at that list, Percat won't surpass Jason Richards' tally next year. Unless, no, unless they rounds. add another three rounds to yeah, the championship, which happen. they're not, not, not going to do. Exactly. Last question. Zach Dowdle. Thoughts on Stan Sports getting IndyCar, World Endurance Championship, and World Rally Championship streaming rights? Interesting is the word that springs to mind there. Mm. It's been a while since we've seen another another player get involved in motorsport rights. It's exciting, the streaming world, mm. because they're all looking for stuff. Yeah. Now- IndyCar had faded off from Fox but came back hard because McLaughlin's there. So why didn't they keep it? Maybe it didn't move the needle enough for what they felt they were spending. And that and they would know, like they know from just purely subscription television, the traditional set top boxes, they know exactly what viewer numbers they're getting yeah. and when they're getting them. And that's just as true through streaming. And it's interesting for me to go, well, okay, if they've bought, they've got these three properties for next year, which I'm led to believe they will simply show them like Fox did. They won't be hosting them or doing anything around them. Mm. But it opens up the possibility. If they're going to get these three, what else could they get? What else do they want to get? What else do they want to do? Are they going to go a bit deeper in a motorsport? Because don't forget Stan is a Channel 9 property. Mm. And 9 in recent history hasn't had motor racing hunger. Ironically, the only thing I can think of that they ran in recent years was World, World Rally Championship because they used to show coverage of um, the Austra- Rally Australia when it was in Coffs Harbour. They did that for a couple of years. I thought you were going to say in Perth. I was going to no, say, no, Gee, no, that's a long yeah. time back. They definitely but, did that. Uh, obviously, but, yeah. they have history with IndyCar. They host they were the host broadcaster of the Gold Coast race from 91 to 95. Mm. But obviously, we're in a whole new world now. So, I'm interested. Fox clearly have locked away the three properties that will grab eyeballs in motorsport. Formula mm. One. MotoGP and supercars. They've also got World Superbikes, which they're long-time proponents of and have, and kind of now that that's in Dornerland, if you got MotoGP, you're kind of going to end up yes. in that world too. So the big question for me is, what else does Stan get? What else do they want to get? Or what else should they get is probably the better question. Well, in terms of the high-profile stuff, outside of those three big pillars, probably the, that they don't have is Probably NASCAR is the next obvious one, I would think, in terms of overseas, even though there's no Australian- Well, James um, Davison's in it, but we all forget that. That's true. And of course, um, Martin Truex Jr.'s crew chief, James Small. Mm. Um, And there's no- Like, the current deal with Fox, as people probably would have noticed this year, is they're not showing every race live. Mm. They'll they'll carry highlights. They have shown some of the races live, but not all of them. Um, Probably the other interesting thing about this is that, of course- the whole relationship with Fox with sport is that it's live. Mm. Live sport and IndyCar and NASCAR, for that matter, have never been on at the best time for a live audience. Not enough of the races. There's the odd good one, but it's mm. a rarity, not a commonality. With Stan, it's a brand new service with a brand new audience that's not attuned to having to watch stuff when it's happening. It's a time-shifted audience where you digest and watch at your own leisure. So maybe that this is possibly their angle of thinking, well- over time, we can make this our own. We can really target a, diff- a slightly different audience, bring some of the traditional audience across and build a bigger bigger tennis racket. It's an interesting world we live in with all these streaming businesses in addition to now the free-to-airs going the streaming pathway because they have to. Give it three, four, five mm. more years. Free-to-air television, as we know, will be gone. Won't be a thing. You'll watch what you want to watch when you want to watch from 7 plus, 9, 10, whoever it is, whatever it is. That's just where it's going to end up. So this is the first step for a lot of these moments. And this is a great time to be a sports and even not to be a big dog sports league because the big dogs always get the big cash. But then the guys after that don't really ever get a look in. But now there's this hunger for content that's going on in all these places. It's opened up the door to far more possibilities. And, of course, competitive pressure means – they're all going to outbid one another. Yes. They want your deal, so they're going to give you more money to beat the other bloke or girl or organisation or whatever yeah. it is. So if you're a league that's a fringe sport, it's a great time. It's a really good time. Mm. Oh, just to go back to things that I would hope Stan Sports would get, that is an NBC product much like the um, host broadcaster of IndyCar, uh, Lost Speedways. I would love Ooh. to see that as a series. Yes, um, the Dale Earnhardt Jr. series. Yeah, I would love to see that. 
I've seen a couple of episodes. It's pretty good. Mm. Uh, really good. Really good. So, yeah, interesting what else they might get or try to get and what flanking content and programming that they might put around it. So, mm. yeah, let's keep an eye because that came from left field. I haven't Absolutely, heard a yeah. murmur of that at all. So, like it, It's not surprising that no. these other streaming platforms, we've seen Paramount going after Australian football. Optus, of course, have a lot of football. But, yes, it's very interesting to see motorsport now being targeted by those other non-traditional streaming services. Mm. Yeah, no, really interesting. Uh, NASCAR would be a prime one, I reckon, for mm. uh, people to be able to grab. But, yeah, it's interesting to know what else is. There's so much stuff out there, though, that you yeah. could grab from overseas. Obviously, here locally, it's pretty much all tied away now. So, um, with supercars, with race, with Seven, with Fox, there's a lot of things now off the table with them. But... If um, there's plenty of interest from a lot of motorsport fans, our listeners, people around the industry who follow all sorts of other motorsport, whether it's you know IMSA sports car racing, it's mm. drag racing, it's speedway, it's uh, there's all sorts of stuff out there. So I'm interested to see what these guys might pick up in the future. So yeah, good one, Zach. Really interesting question. Can't wait to see what unfolds in upcoming months and years with rights and what's where and what's working and and what's not. Um, We've had a whole pile of questions this year. We try to answer as many as we can. Clearly, we can't answer them all. Sometimes we don't have the answer. Sometimes the questions are inappropriate questions. Sometimes they're ones that uh, we'd have to spend weeks trying to figure out the answers to. Uh, So we do as much as we can, as often as we can, with as many as we can. So because of that, even though Christmas is coming in a couple of days from when we release this pod, we're going to do another one. To go between Christmas and New Year's to answer more questions because we have plenty more questions. And I think we're going to have a few more that are chassis-flavoured, car history-type stuff. So at the end of the day, that's what V8 Sleuth is built on, the histories of the race cars, what's gone where, who's driven what, where is it now, what state is it in, where's the Bathurst winner of this year, all that sort of stuff. So we're going to do another Q&A with a bunch of those questions and answers next week. That'll be our final podcast of 2021. We'll have a bit of a break and we'll be back at some stage in January to kick off a big year. I've got some big chats lined up already. Got some people who don't want to chat who I'm twisting their arm (laughs) very hard to get them to sit down in front of a microphone and have a chat about their careers and some of the stuff that's gone on in their world in the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, We will get into that a bit more next year. But in the meantime, thank you everybody for listening. Have a great, safe, Merry Christmas and holidays. Will, to you, Merry Christmas to our whole team. It's been a very, very big year. We will do one more next week to finish off the year. But in the meantime, we are run and done. Merry Christmas, everyone, from the team here at V8 Sleuth. Hope you've enjoyed the V8 Sleuth podcast. Powered by Repco. Drive safely over the holiday break. And if you're driving somewhere and you need some company, there's about 172 episodes (laughs) of the V8 Sleuth podcast to keep you company. We're here to help. Have a great Christmas. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.